Thank you for joining us on the Anchor Conversations podcast, where we are bringing your Sunday into your weekday. Our goal is to invite you into the conversation that's happening when we're preaching on Sunday mornings by giving you an opportunity to ask questions and to continue to interact with the text through this podcast. Let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of Anchor Conversations. Uh, this is Tyler here with Jason. Jason, Hello. how's it going? Hello, it's going good. Um, was thinking about this week. I think this is definitely, of all the podcasts I've ever done and hosted with you, this is my favorite one. So same, yeah, same, yeah, by far. It's like it's, there's, it's not even close. If 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 you were to try and get a distant second, I bet you couldn't even find one. So yes, that's true. Um, yeah, it's my favorite as well. Uh, oh, good. So, That's encouraging. <laughs> this week we are discussing uh, your sermon from Mark chapter four. Uh, really short, uh, you know, section here, verses thirty-five yeah. through five forty-three. I was trying to figure out how to fill time because I felt yeah. like I felt like reading. Um, I think if we were to count up all of the minutes that I actually was reading something, it would. I think it was like eight minutes of the sermon was me reading the text. So, um, yeah. Yeah, it was real short. Yeah. I mean, that's my, that is my fault. I mean, I I kind of put together the what we're going to be saying. So, um it was intentional, but then you start to get into it and you're like, "Oh, man. One of the things behind the curtain was I I think on Saturday I thought, "All right, how am I going to read this? Where am I going to read it?" And I thought, "Man, by the time I read this whole thing and then start talking about it and get to the end, everyone's going to for, have forgotten like what Yeah. where we're at." So, everyone will be sleeping. Yeah, it was just a choice of Let's just read it as we go and see what happens. Yeah, no, it was good. Uh, and your big idea was that all creation obeys the voice of its creator and king. And um, you went back to this idea of uh, reels, like Instagram reels. Yeah. Uh, so I am I take it that you're spending a lot of time on social media lately <laughs> with all these reels, <laughs> especially given the fact that you I were mean... texting me videos from Instagram last <laughs> night. <laughs> I mean, I guess that, that is a way to, that is a way to think through it. It's more like, I think, I think like when we were, when, when I was in my preaching classes, they say, you know, there's snapshots. I just think it's, we don't, you know, in, in modern, in modern day, you know, vernacular, we could talk about, this is a Polaroid, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know what they did back in the day, but we're just like, yeah, these reels, these pictures, these short stories, whatever we're talking about, just trying to make it more relevant, you know, because that's yeah. the kind of guy that I am. So yeah, you're very relevant. always, always trying to be relevant. You know, that's, <laughs> that's me. And when people look at me, they're like, mm, he's always trying to be relevant. I know that's <laughs> totally. Uh, no, but it <laughs> my was shoes cost, my shoes cost $35, you know, you can buy them at Ross. It's what yeah, relevant that people is, do. That is relevant. Um, no, but the four reels were helpful. And we, we were talking actually last night, community group about how uh, a lot of us felt like we were in the story kind of watching it happen. So it was a good, oh, that's good. That's good a job of that. Um, but these four reels of obedience to the king, and we had a lot of questions sent in, uh, which is awesome. I, I said this uh, the last time I preached, but if you, if you weren't there to hear it, um, what's really cool about the questions that are sent in is that it's really the, the body. The, the congregation uh, kind of setting the table for this discussion uh, so that we all have kind of a piece in what we're doing here. It's not just you and I coming up with stuff, but it's, it's everyone's contribution and that's the way I view it. So we had a lot of questions, which is really exciting and, and helpful. Um, so keep sending those in. I didn't, there was one question that I had um, that someone else 
literally verbatim gave the same question. So, uh, but otherwise, none of these questions are mine. Um, these are all from from everyone else. So that's great. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> well, and because we had so many of them, let's get right into them because I want to hopefully hit all, hopefully we'll have time to hit all of them. Um, we had a lot of questions texted in about this scene with the demons and how they were sent into the pigs. It was the second reel we looked at. The first reel was Jesus calming the storm. And then you have him um, casting the demons out of this Superman-like uh demoniac who's breaking chains and there's a lot of questions about that so we'll get into those um the first one i thought was a great question um was did the demons die when the pigs drowned so jesus casts out the demon uh, the legion of demons into 2000 2000 pigs we see in the story and the question is did the pigs drown when they ran off the cliff possessed by demons and if not what happened to the demons where they go there's a lot of there's a lot of, I mean, when you think about the Bible and how it's kind of put together, there's a lot of ways that we can f- try and figure out exactly what happens in this, in these situations, because, you know, obviously here it, it doesn't, it doesn't just come out and tell you, um, and then, then the demons lived, you know, or the demons died. Um, I think from a, from a, um, just from the standpoint of logically, you know, I, I don't think the demons aren't going to go and just throw themselves into the water if they're all going to drown. Um, they're, they're not, they're not dumb, you know, so they're not going to go do that. Also, um, they, you know, what their whole point of what the, the, the demonic activity here is to be, um, kind of relentless, um, you know, uh, kill, steal, destroy. They're wanting to, to just cause havoc, chaos. Um, and so, you know, the, 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 sending all those pigs off kind of accomplishes what they were hoping for. I mean, it seems like, it seems like they were trying to get the guy to do it. Maybe. I mean, he kept cutting himself, the text says. And so maybe that was part of what they were trying to do. So they, they finally did accomplish it. But I think that um, if we go to the Bible and take a look at it, you know, Matthew 12, 43 kind of gives us a little bit of a, an understanding, um, you know, Matthew 12, 43, when an unclean spirit comes out of a person, it roams through waterless places looking for rest, but doesn't find any. Then it says, I'll go back to my house that I came from returning. It finds the house vacant, swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter the, and settle down there. As a result, the condition, the person's condition is worse than the first. This is part of Jesus talking about, um, you know, he's, he's trying to give an example of why you can't just, um, say, I'm going to remove this out of my life. You have to fill it with something else. Um, and he's using the demons as an example. And so, you know, they're going to be roaming around looking for someone else, um, another host, I guess. Um, and, and I don't know what Jesus did with them in terms of, you know, how he, how he was processing them, you know, cause the other question you could ask is, well, then are they just going to go find another host. I don't know. Cause if they go into the pigs and then they get thrown off a cliff, they don't die, but there's all, there's also other kind of, you know, Josephus talks about demons being able to go in water. This is where we get into some stuff. That's just in some ways you're like, it's fascinating because we're trying to figure it out. You know, talk about, you know, people have angelology and demonology and they're trying to understand it. You have books like this present darkness or, you know, when I was a kid, you know, those kinds of books that you're, they're not theologically accurate necessarily. They're just, you're, you know, they're just trying to get a, give a good story about something, but um, 
you know, I think at the end of the day, um, you know, they're going to be thrown into the abyss, which actually, if you, if you think of, if you were go to Luke, the account in Luke, um, eight of the same story, he doesn't say that they were afraid to be sending out of the region. He says that they were afraid. They didn't want to be sent to the abyss. They were, they were thinking that Jesus was going to send them to the abyss, which is uh, referenced in revelation 20, um, where they are essentially, it's the kind of the final judgment. And, um, you know, we talk about the keys being, op- you know, opening up the abyss and Satan being thrown there. And he's so, so this, a bit, this idea of the abyss is kind of, kind of going to be where they're judged. And so they had a fear that that's where they were going and they didn't, they didn't want to go there. They wanted to be able to do what they were doing, um, as well. And so, yeah, I, I think that that'd be my answer. No, um, what happened to them is they were probably, um, roaming around, you know, maybe, maybe Jesus actually cast them out in such a way that he prohibited them from, you know, entering into anybody else. And they just wound up just going, you know, I don't, we don't know. We don't know the answer to that. Um, but no, they, they didn't die. They would have been tried to find a new host, um, to try to be a part of. So. Okay. That's a helpful explanation of that. Um, a related question is this idea of you know them finding a new host or doing whatever they're going to do is maybe more philosophical but why does jesus allow demons to do things anyway (laughs) you know they're we saw in the text they're begging him for permission to go into the pigs and they're they're powerless to do you know in some ways with whatever they want to do they're they're subject to jesus is what i should say so why does jesus allow them demons to do things why doesn't he just rebuke them and make them disappear why doesn't he throw them into the abyss yeah i mean um this is getting in this is this is getting into a little bit of the i think we could probably probably uh meander our our way to questions of like the the age-old millennia questions philosophical um apologetic questions of like the problem of evil if you took ever took a philosophy class or maybe you went to maybe you went to Bible school or something like that, and you took an apologetics class. You're going to be dealing with some of these things. What, which is really the question is, um, if God is good and if God is God and can do anything, why is there evil in the world? And that's people use that as a proof for um, why God doesn't exist. It's like a, it's and then and then really is trying to trying to um, you know disprove that somehow and understand it. I, which I understand the question's a good question because you know you, you do have this co-mingling in the world of evil and sin and God and his people that that isn't new to Jesus time. Like demons have been around the whole time, you know, I mean, from, from when sin came into the world, actually from when Satan and the angels, um, you know, angel demons are angels that have fallen. So, um, they're, they're just, they're not, they're no longer, you know, they rebelled. They no longer are following him. They no longer, they, they know he's the authority, but they're rebelling. Um, and so, you know, from that standpoint, you can ask the question, well, why didn't he just destroy them immediately? Um, why, why did he let them do what they're going to do? And I, I guess I have two, maybe two answers to that. Maybe they're not even going to be, these answers might not, might not be, um, fully helpful because I don't know if I can answer that fully without just saying something like, which isn't going to be definitely helpful with God's sovereign, which is kind of what other people say, you know, God's sovereign, which is true. So I want to make that, oh, it's overarching what I'm about to give you two specifics, but I would say, um, the first one is, I don't know. 
which definitely isn't helpful for you, but it within my, I don't know answer, I would make sure that we do know this. Sometimes we focus on the things that we don't know and we get confused and thrown into disarray. Um, and instead, I think it's helpful to focus on what we do know. And here's what we do know is that God's character is intact. It hasn't changed. He's still good. He's patient. He's loving. He's kind. That's who he is. And he will not leave justice undone. Like those things are all true in who God is. So with Jesus here and the demons, um, he's good. He's patient. He's loving. He's kind. He's not, he's not, you know, hoping the demons are going to follow him. They've lost their chance. They don't have the same chance we do. Um, but justice will be, will be served. Revelation 20 shows it. They will get their just due for their rebellion. It's going to happen. So we know that that's the case. There's, there's, something that God is allowing to take place now. And if you look at places like Job, why, like the book of Job, why did, why did you can ask the same question? Why did God allow Satan to tempt or to test Job? Why did he do that? Um, why did God put the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden? Um, why didn't he just leave it out? Like that's, you know, why did he send the storms that, you know, that, um, you know, broke, you know, toward this community apart. Why, did, why is God doing all these things? Or why didn't he prevent those things? He could have very easily with the word prevented and maybe not sent them, but prevented them. Why did he allow those things to take place? Um, and the answer one is that, is that we, we don't know, but we trust who God is. And maybe like a second, a second answer to that, that might be a little bit of a more better guess in terms of biblical, biblically. And as we think about it, um, when we think about, you know, um, people and all of us in our fallen state, Adam and Eve sin, sin comes into the world. All of a sudden we rebel. Um, the question would be, well, why didn't, why doesn't he just destroy those that don't, why is, why is he waiting? Like, what is it about? What is it about the world that he's waiting for? Um, why is, why isn't he just destroying all unbelievers that are, are rebellious, rebellious? Like, what is, why is he allowing us to people to go around and kill people and like, why is he doing that? Again, it's the problem of evil, right? But but if you're going to say, well, the demons should just be destroyed, you should just destroy them. Why why wouldn't he do that with us too? Um, and the world that the world that we live in and the demons are present in and that Satan exists in is a fallen world. And that's on us. That's on Adam and Eve. Um, you know, God didn't intend it that way. Adam let Adam let Satan into the garden. He was supposed to be tending it. He didn't. Um, he wasn't doing that job. Um, and so Satan made its way, made his way into that garden and, and tested, tempted them. Um, and so, you know, you can ask that question too, like, well, well, maybe, maybe there's something there, um, that we just have to consider in terms of even us, like, what is it about God's patience that allows him to meet that out? And it could be that, that there is, if there's going to be just judgment and justice for Satan and his demons, which are, it's going to come. Maybe those all need to happen at the same time. If that's going to take place, the, the rebellious ones need to need to meet, you know, find their justice at the end of the day. But even now he's allowing time for the people that don't know him to come to know him. There's this, there's this period now that that's going to be able to, you know, happen and take place. Um, you know, we live in a, a really weird, a weird era, uh, a, a weird place because, you know, good and evil exist together. Holiness and immorality exist together. God's patience exists with inexpressible cruelty and harm. Like all of that stuff exists together in this world. We almost have two armies, two camps, the kingdom of God people and the kingdom of every other thing people. It's, 
it's the world versus the kingdom of God. That's kind of what it is. There's just, there's people that want to follow the Lord and people that don't. And the people that don't are all in rebellion, just like Satan and the demons are. They're in the same, kind of in the same uh, area camp, if you will. Um, and it just, the time has not come yet. I mean, I, Jesus clearly is dealing with them here. He, um, he casts them out. They have to obey him. There's no, God's not, God's not out of control in the demons and Satan. Again, you read the old Testament, Satan has to ask to do stuff with Job. I mean, that's true. So God is still in control, but for whatever reason, um, he just hasn't done that. I would also add last thing, Tyler, sorry, I know I'm talking a long time. I just want to make sure I'm clear on this, but the last thing I would say is if, if you're in a situation where you feel like, man, I just don't want demons um, around because they terrify me. I get it. Um, I do get it because we should be reverentially in some ways, like they are bigger beings than we are. So, and angels are the same way. I mean, we, we, we don't stand a chance. Like there's something about that. We don't, unless um, that the spirit, the spirit that dwells within us is greater than the spirit that is out there trying to get us, which is absolutely true. The same, the same, the spirit of Jesus Christ is in us and they had to ask his permission to do anything. And so as we sit here, I think that we want to, we want to walk a line. Um, if you're wondering about just demons in general of, of having, having a mentality that the spiritual world exists, it's there. Um, it it's, it's around us. We see that sometimes in the Bible, people's eyes are open to it. Um, and so there is a spiritual world around us that is existent that we can't necessarily see. Um, we don't want to be so consumed by it that we think about it all the time. And we almost, we almost think about it like this is a shiny toy that I get to look at and play with. I think that that's dangerous. I had a, I had a friend one time who had just this fascination with demons and, you know, he'd, he would want, he would want to go find them. You know, he'd want to go find people that were possessed by them and he'd want to, you know, taunt the demons and do this. I one time I was just like, I just told him, I just don't think that's wise. I mean, read the book of Job. I mean, sorry, read the book, read the, read the book of Jude. And Jude even says like, you know, Michael, the archangel doesn't say, doesn't rebuke Satan alone, even though they're kind of equal in their power. He says, God rebuke you because there is no reason for us to try to come to this position of like, Hey, we're going to take authority over demons or have that kind of understanding. The seven sons of Sceva and Acts were just destroyed by it, by a demon possessed dude. Like, and those guys, those demons talked and said, Hey, Jesus, we definitely know Paul. We've heard of, I don't, we don't know who you are. And they just took him out because they tried to be bold about it. You know, at some point we just say, look, I don't want to have my, this is my position. I know that they exist. I don't want to have anything to do with them because I want, I know that Jesus is with me and I'm just going to focus on him, trust him, walk with him. Um, and I don't need to try and like entertain um, this fascination with this kind of world. It's one of the reasons I, not that anybody shouldn't, but I, I don't like to watch, even watch horror movies. Cause I feel like it, it makes me fearful of something that I shouldn't be fearful of. Like I, like I'm, I have the spirit of Christ in me. So I'll, anyway, that's a really long answer, but I just want to make sure that I'm answering the question as fully as I can. So it's a complex question. So it needs a, a longer answer, especially this idea of the problem of evil. We went to a conference recently and there was a debate um, on the problem of evil at, at the conference, uh, kind of two Christian views of the problem of evil and how do we understand it? And um, honestly, I was in over my skis for that, but a, a takeaway for me 
was in, in this conversation of, you know, why does Jesus allow demons to do things and why evil and, and all that? One of the things, the takeaways for me was to remember um, God is not removed from the problem of evil. Uh, what I mean by that is he's sovereign over it, yes, and also he took on flesh and he entered a world corrupted by evil and he felt the effects of evil um, on him. Um, not that he did evil, not that he sinned, but that he was tempted just as we are. Um, the Bible tells us, and that on the cross, Jesus bore the consequences of our evil. Um, and, and all of that was intentional. It wasn't, he wasn't out of control. He, he wasn't a victim. Uh, he, he was, he was in control of that process. He was doing so to save us, um, from our evil and the demons shudder at his presence and, they recognize him for who he is. And so we can take those questions and um, think through them uh, deeply and, and wrestle with them. And at the end of the day, recognize Jesus bore our sin. Jesus rose from the dead and conquered death and sin and conquered evil. And he will do away with it one day. And then that's kind of the, that's kind of the field we play on. And then from there, we can kick around the ball of demons and try and figure out maybe what we believe or, you know, um, like you said, you know, we don't need to to go down maybe trails that aren't helpful, but we we certainly have that foundation. Jesus wins. <laughs> Jesus, you know, is in control, and also he's not unaware of the effects of of evil um, because he experienced it in, in bodily form and and mm -hmm. conquered it. So um, that's good. All right. Uh, so we're still sticking with this uh, demon-possessed man, this story, um, but kind of going out from it, the effect of the demon-possessed man after he's healed, Jesus sends him and tells him, go and, and tell your family, go to your town and tell everyone what the Lord has done for you on this day. Um, and this is a question that I had as well. Um, and actually two people sent the same question. And so a lot of us were thinking this. Um, because in the story of the girl raised from the dead, Jesus tells the family, don't tell anyone. And we've seen that throughout the book of Mark up until this point. Whenever he's doing miracles, a lot of the times he's saying, don't tell anyone. Keep it a secret. But here we have him telling this demon-possessed man, go and tell everyone. So what's up with that? Why do you think Jesus told the demon-possessed man to go tell his family, go tell his city? Uh, but with the girl's family, with these other miracles, we have Jesus saying, keep it a secret. Um, and then there was a follow-up question. Another person asked, when do we know, uh, it's okay to testify to his miracle? So how do we determine that in our own lives? Okay. Good. Those are good questions. I would say to the, to the first question about, um, what's the difference between the messianic secret? Cause that, that's part of the, you know, Mark's one of his, the themes of the whole gospel of Mark is this messianic secret is you know, Jesus is trying to keep the secret of the Messiah. He doesn't want people to know it yet. Um, so, you know, we, we have seen it a lot where that's, you know, that's the case. Um, I think one of the answers could be, and is likely that, you know, this side where over by the Decapolis, where the, he is now, uh, where he went across the sea of Galilee and he met this man is a predominantly Gentile area. Um, and so the idea of, of being mistaken for the Messiah, which is a predominantly Jewish 
is, you know, the, the Israelites would have been thinking about this from the Old Testament. They would have had that in mind all the time, probably was less of a concern for him with the Gentile audience because they didn't, they wouldn't have been thinking, oh, he's the Messiah. They wouldn't have had a category for that. Or if they did um, have a category for which they may have, because they were around people, you know, but they wouldn't have, it wouldn't have mattered. I don't think they would have cared. They would have just thought that's their thing. So they wouldn't have, they necessarily wouldn't have equated it. What they would have thought is, man, there's a, there's a man, look what he did to this demon possessed guy that we couldn't get around. And so it was an actual, it was a, it was a testimony to those people that, Hey, there's a guy who is doing miraculous works. They're, they're, it's really highlighting the power and the authority and the, the, the rescuing power of who Jesus is. It's really a gospel. Maybe it's a gospel, um, type, like looking forward to what he does to us. He takes us that is just filled with all this stuff and, um, he removes it, you know, he, he will, he removes it at the cross and the resurrection, it proves that, that, that it worked. And so then it's just really like, this is what he did with the demon possessed man in a Gentile area. Isn't necessarily showing forth the Messiah. What it's doing is it's showing people, Hey, there's a guy that can change my life. Who is this? Um, who then is this, like, who is this guy? And so, um, I think that's probably a, probably the answer. I, I read that in a couple commentaries, um, as well. And so I think that that's probably it. There's, there's the other one I think that would go along with it is that, you know, Jesus didn't always hide his miracles. I mean, he's out doing lots of different things publicly. He's healing people and, and, and removing demons from them. You know, people are seeing him do that in the countrysides. And so he's not always doing that, but there is a difference in some ways between that and him raising somebody from the dead. Those are, those are really different things. I mean, I think that the, the raising people, somebody from the dead uh, would have signaled something way bigger. Cause he could have just been a traveling, he could be a prophet. He could have been a traveling miracle dude. You know, he could have been, there was a lot of people at this time that were claiming messiahship or, you know, claiming that they were something. Um, and there are other people doing, you know, doing miracles or, you know, praying for people. And I, but I think that, I think that the raising of the dead specifically was something is like, Hey, we need to not, but I think it's one of the reasons why he said she's sleeping. He wasn't lying. I mean, she was going to get up. So it's not like, he's like, I know, I know t maybe he, maybe technically he could have said, I know she's dead now. Give it a second. Like we're going to, it's going to change it. But I think that he, I think what he was trying to do was say, Hey, if people know that this is about to take place, they're going to try and take me by force and make me the King. I don't want to do it. And it's going to be dangerous for everybody here. And so, um, so he just said, Hey, she's sleeping. Hang on. You're fine. She's asleep. And then he went up and he, and she, technically she was, she was unconscious asleep. You know, her, her body wasn't working. Uh, everything stopped, but he reversed it. So I think those are, those are two answers I'd give to that. Um, and then the, the third, the third thing, or that second question um, I would just say it's always okay. I, there is no waiting at this point. The, the reason that they were waiting here and Jesus was telling them that here was because of the messianic part where he was really trying to wait. His time hadn't come yet. He was, he knew that his king, his kingdom and, and his throne wasn't going to be made of gold, but it was going to be made of wood. It was going to be a cross. He knew that. And he, but people weren't ready to hear that. Um, and he wasn't ready to go there yet. There was still ministry that he needed to do. Um, I think once he raises from the dead and he meets the disciples, I mean, the, the mission at that point is, hey, go um, make disciples of everybody telling them, go tell them, 
tell them about me, you know, te- testifying John, you know, I te- we testify of all these things that he's done. And so I think now like the, the miracles and the, and the testimony of those things, like tell them, tell, tell people, I mean, make it known, do not feel like you have to hide that. That was something for this time period. I wonder if there's also, um, and I don't know if this came up in your study. So this isn't, this isn't uh, objective or I haven't studied the text in a while, but I wonder if there's something being uh, presented here where, and we see this in the old Testament that there's this, this kind of forward looking, the Gentiles are going to be included and actually uh, God's people consistently reject his prophets. And while they're doing that, God's promising. Yeah. And the Gentiles are going to be included. And, you know, in, in John, it says that Jesus came to his own, but they didn't receive him. They didn't, they didn't see him. Um, but there's this message going forward to the Gentiles. And in those two um, stories, we kind of have that happening. Here's the message of uh, Jesus going forward to the Gentiles, go and tell your city. Uh, whereas the Jews, uh, it's a secret and, and because they're not going to see it anyway. Um even if you know Jesus says with with Luke and and um, uh, this parable of Lazarus and the poor man, even if they saw someone, or maybe if they saw someone raised from the dead, they might believe. Well, they're not going to believe even when Jesus rises from the dead. Many of them, um, and so that's kind of kind of foreshadowed here. You know, the gospel it's going to go forward to everyone, yes, but in in a kind of different way. Uh, I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but to the Gentiles. <laughs> um, and so it's kind of pictured here uh, in yeah. this story. So yeah, it's good. Uh, but yeah, it's that. Yeah, I agree. It's that that Gentile Jew difference there in the different things that Jesus is doing and timing. And um, and even Paul's going to do that. He's going to preach the gospel differently in the synagogues than he does, uh, you know, in, in the, the, the places where philosophy is being debated. He's going to preach it differently. Um, so we see that distinction throughout the Bible. Yeah, um, one last thing, give me 30 seconds. I'll be done. Yeah. And we got, I know we got other questions. Um, I wonder also, as you're talking there, I wonder if there's something too, where, um, you know, we think about the differences and how they're, how they process and think in the Gentile and Jewish realm. I mean, we see in first Corinthians that, you know, to the Jews, Jesus and him being raised from the dead is a stumbling block. Like there's this idea they don't, they don't, they don't understand this, this messianic understanding, like this is massive stumbling block for them. They can't get over. Essentially. I think that a person is the Messiah. Like they don't, that's not. um, But for Jews, there's something about wisdom. Like it's wisdom. It's a wisdom culture that they're trying to get. And so for them, maybe they're like, Hey, look, um, you know, the, the Gentiles, they can take this now. They, they can get this. There's something about it. They're going to want to explore and understand it too. Like there, there could be that, but just a, yeah, it's a, it's a personal, personal touch of Jesus almost for different people groups. Um, so, so you have this response from the people in the town. So we're still on the story of the demon possessed man. Um, but you know, the, the people who own the pigs, they run off the, the hill, go and tell the people in the town, everyone comes out and they're, they're freaking out. And ultimately they just ask Jesus to leave. They're like, can you get out of here? Uh, and someone's asking here, what are ways that we, uh, as Americans, they said, can have the response like the town to Jesus? Can you please leave? Yeah, maybe I'll talk about that about, uh, I'm sorry, maybe I'll talk about that more for just East Valley, because I I think it's helpful for us to think about our immediate context. This probably applies to all of America too, but 
just talk about where we live here. Um, there's a probably 10 different things we could say. Let me just give one because I think for time. But so for one, I'd say is that um, when we find the Bible nudging our comfort and calling us to things we don't, we don't find um, naturally enjoyable or something that would be naturally what we want, we want to do, you know, it just brings us out of this comfort zone that we're in. I wonder if that's a way that we're like, yeah, okay, Jesus enough. You can just get out of here now. Um, you know, part of being a, a Christian, I think is dealing with the uncomfortable nature of the world. Um, and, uh, what that means for us as kingdom of God, people, not, not, uh, world people, you know, we, we exist in the world, but we're not of the world. That's, you know, we are, we are, we are of a different kingdom here. And so, um, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world have different values. There's different expectations placed on us. And we don't like that sometimes. I think we just think, well, it's just, can we just blend in? Can we just be what we're going to be? Can we just, can we just look like we're not weird? You know, we just, we want to be comfortable in that stuff. You know, um, if sacrifice, uh, sacrifice is, um, part of what it means to succeed in the kingdom of God, if, if self, you know, I, I'm selfless, like he was, I'm humble. Like he was, I give of myself, like he did. I, I don't consider myself greater than others. Like Jesus was, if that's part of what it means to be successful in the kingdom, um, you know, then a desire to be comfortable and to th just think of only us and, you know, to gain stuff for me and to think about my kingdom. And that's going to really nudge us. It's going to push us in a way that makes us uncomfortable, I think. And, and I think at those moments, we would never say it because we have a, we have too good of a mask on, but I think in our hearts, what happens is, is we go, mm, yeah, that's fine. And we wind up and, and honestly, this is where your actions just are our actions, not yours, our actions, all of us are speak way louder than our words do. Cause we can say, yeah, I love Jesus. I'm going to follow him in everything. And then he calls us to do something sacrificial. Um, and maybe just because we're talking about church culture, maybe in the church, we would talk about it for a few weeks now, but like serving on a Sunday morning, um, as an example, or, or, you know, whatever it might be, um, that makes us uncomfortable. It's something we don't want to do. We just go, yeah, I love everything about Jesus, but you know, just not that. Like, I think that you can just, you can hold that on, hold on to that for yourself, Jesus, and we'll do something different. That's right. Yeah. I won't even add to that. Cause I was, my answer would be, uh, very similar. The only thing I'll say is where, um, where we feel Jesus pushing up against those things, you know, our choice is the pigs or Jesus in that moment <laughs> for the city, they chose the pigs. Um, so that's the same challenge for us. Um, okay. So this last question, we got about five minutes left here, so we'll knock this one out. Um, hopefully in that time, but it's this idea that Jesus didn't allow the demon possessed man to go with him. So the demon possessed man, after he's healed, he wants to go with Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, go back to your town. Um, this person texts in. So that seems sort of offensive that Jesus wouldn't let, wouldn't let him come. And then you have Jesus only allowing Peter, James, and John to come when he heals the dead girl and, and her parents, obviously. Um, so the question is, was Jesus being cliquish and exclusive in those situations? And should Jesus' approach inform our relational choices as we think about that? Yeah, let me, I'll answer this quickly. Um, on the first question about the guy and him sending him back, we we don't know why. Um, but I but we can guess, I mean, again, I wonder if it come, goes back to the Gentile 
um, Jewish distinction. I mean, Jesus knew that his ministry was going to be over eventually in Jerusalem around the temple. Gen Gentiles couldn't go into the temple. It would actually, it actually caused some, some deeper problems, I think, because they wouldn't, they wouldn't have been able to, to do openly, like do openly what they were going to about to need it, what they would needed to do. Sorry, like stumbling over my words there, but they, they just would, they would have been hindered, I think with him around. It's not that Jesus didn't love him. He actually healed him. It's not that he didn't, he didn't necessarily care about him. He did. Um, he kicked the demons out and then he just said, Hey, you need to go be an evangelist. Um, you know, your, your job right now is to be an evangelist. My job right now is to go to the Jewish people and die for the sins of the world. That's my mission. Yours, see what God did in you and go tell everybody about it. So I don't think he was being mean spirited there. I, I think it was pragmatic probably and practical more, more than anything else on clicks. You know, is he being clickish with just those three? You know, I think clicks um, really exist. That it's keeping people away. So they don't feel accepted. They don't feel like they're in your, Hey, just get out of here. Like we don't want you to be games locked. You know, we got to, you can't, you can't be around. And it's like, I mean, that's real quick. We can call them clicks, but I think maybe a better way to talk about it here with James and John and the disciples is that there's, you know, you can, you, every person has realistic relational capacity and boundaries. Like I, I think that there's something there and maybe even in discipleship per, per specifically uh, perhaps with these, with these group of, of men and women, um, Jesus realized like, I need to, I need to get a group of people, guys around me that I'm the closest with that I can, that can really know me and spend and show them a couple things specifically, especially when you think about some of the ways that they would, you know, John and Peter in particular would go out into the, into the world and lead things and write books of the Bible. And so maybe there was just something there, you know, I think relational boundaries, um, do exist, you know, I mean, I, I, I think that, um, you know, you, you think about your friends and how many friends you can, you can have around you that you actually know, and that really know you, but this happens throughout the whole, the whole new Testament. I mean, John refers to himself as the disciple Jesus loved, <clears throat> you know, in the Mount of transfiguration, it's these guys that go at garden of Gethsemane. He brings these guys with him. There's, there's something about these guys that Jesus, I think felt a kinship with probably just a little bit more, maybe closer. You talk about, should we model that? Well, I think we do. Cause I think that there is something about, I feel this in me. I feel like there's in me, I'm friends with a lot of people. Um, and I love a lot of people and I try and serve a lot of people. Um, but I only have a few really, really close friends that really know me. Um, because I can't, I just don't have the capacity to have everybody be that. You know, I think people can be, can be close to me, but to really know me, to know all of my faults, my failures, my sins, my temptations, my, um, my shortcomings, my joys, my successes and sharing that it just can't be everybody pra practically. Um, it's gotta be smaller. And I, Jesus is human. He's hundred percent human. Yeah. He's hundred percent God, but he's still a human being. He, he has to sleep. He's, you know, he's got to eat like there, there's that kind of stuff. So he has that as well. So I don't know what that means for you. I mean, if you're, if you ask that question, I don't know what that means. I do think it means that be, be gracious and generous to everybody, but I think to have a couple people that are really close and really know you, it's one of the reasons why huddle groups are, are three people. Cause if you don't have that, then it's, you know, three to four, it's nice to have a smaller group of people that really know you, you never know, like those friendships may be lifelong. So that'd be the answer that I have that. So it's about not about exclusivity, but about realistic boundaries and about being known. And I think that's the emphasis for us is who knows you, who really knows you. 
Um, and how can you welcome people at whatever level your capacity is? All right, that's good. Um, lots of answers there, lots of tough questions. So thanks uh, for giving the tough answers. Yeah, I feel like I talked the whole time. Sorry. Sorry, everybody. We'll uh, we'll give them more. I mean, ask all those questions. We'll try and answer them the best we can. Yep. And we'll uh, do it again next week. Thanks, man. Yep. See y'all. Thank you for taking the time to join us today as we brought your Sunday into your weekday. Our hope and prayer is that you'd continue pressing into the Lord and applying the Bible to your life as you seek to honor Jesus as King. We'd encourage you to continue this conversation with God through reading the Word and praying and to continue this conversation with other Christians at your anchor huddles and your anchor communities. We look forward to worshiping King Jesus with you this Sunday and to talking to you again on the podcast next week.